What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode two of Sports and Torts. Thank you so much for the positive feedback from the first episode and for taking the time to listen. It is very, very, very much appreciated. For those of you who do not know me, my name is Joshua Stein, and I'm a lawyer in Atlanta, Georgia. My firm, the J. Stein Law Firm, focuses exclusively on personal injury cases where we represent those who were injured because someone else did something wrong. And frankly, I just really like sports. I have two guests today, and I'm really excited to have them join us. Both are lawyers. Both have successful law firms in Atlanta. Both of their law firms specialize in personal injury work. Both are proud and founding members of Fracker Nation. And most important to me, both were extremely instrumental in helping me start my own law firm several years ago by giving me valuable advice on the business side of running a law firm and also on how to successfully develop and litigate a personal injury case from the perspective of the plaintiffs. And bottom line is both of them really like to talk sports and they like to drink bourbon. So that makes for a very fun recording setup today. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce Brian Karen from Steel Horse Law and Andy Goldner from the law offices of Andrew Goldner. Boys, welcome. How are we doing today? We're doing good, Josh. Thanks for having me. Uh, this should be fun. I look forward to being your play-by-play color man today. Josh, great to be here. I appreciate it. One quick question as we get started. Um, Brian, you knew that you knew this was audio only. Why are you in a tuxedo? Well, I mean, I figured that you were going to have at least some video up here. So the other thing that you'll like about this, Andy, is um, Brian called me this morning because he was super excited about this fresh haircut that he got. And I had to break the news to him that this is an audio-only discussion, and this is not going to be streaming over video. So we can certainly comment on how nice his hair looks, but the world's not going to see it. Well, the hair helps my confidence level. Well, I do feel like it's fair to point out for the listener, since there is no video, that the three uh, sort of hair game situations here, Josh, you're, you're like a Rolls Royce. Brian, you're like a Bentley. And frankly, I'm an 87 Honda Civic. But that's okay. I was going to say Hyundai. Didn't take long to talk about hair. Okay. Um, I I want to get the the setup of the conference room um, so people can get a visual of of where we are. We are all together. Three of us are here. Uh, We're at my office sitting in the conference room. And we just poured ourselves some Breckenridge bourbon over some nice cubes of ice. Andy, you you actually introduced me, and maybe Ryan too, I don't know, um, to Breckenridge several years ago. So tell us how you found it. I think it's great. Uh, tell us you know, what you know about Breckenridge. So one of my uh, close friends, uh, of which one, one of the two of you are, uh, introduced me to Breckenridge about 10 years ago when it first came out. And if there's a smoother, better tasting bourbon for, for the value, I haven't found it yet. So what I know about it is that it's um, – it's brewed with snowmelt uh, water from the Rocky Mountains. That's coming straight from the bottle. It tastes amazing. I've heard that the founder or founders of Breckenridge are from Georgia. I'd like to believe that. I think that's right. I, I think I, I, I don't think I know. I sent you guys a picture from a week or so ago at my friend Brian Hampton's house. He did a bourbon tasting, and it was four or five different um, batches of Breckenridge. I think what he told me, and he can, he can pipe in later, um, is that one of his guys he coaches with, 
is a co-owner or a founder or something. So anyway, shout out to Brian. Um, shout out to Breckenridge. We're going to make them the sponsor today. Everybody good with that? Hey. Couldn't think of a better one. Yep. All right. Another another uh, founding fracker. And that, yeah, that's right, a founding fracker. And probably the greatest fracker of them all. It's very – Hall of Fame. So we have a lot to jump into on the law side, the torque side, so, so you will. Um, and then we're going to talk some sports at the end. So I thought it would be really interesting – to have both of you here at the same time, um, because both of you have set up, and I'll just say it, you know, extremely successful law firms that, from my perspective, and, and I might be wrong here, but you all set them up kind of differently and, and gone about operating them day to day in a different manner. And so, you know, I think that what's important for everybody to know is there's lots of different ways to skin the cat, lots of different ways to go about it. And so I want to spend some time letting you guys explain kind of how y'all have done it, what's worked, and how your firms are set up. So. Andy, let's start with you. If you would just describe your law firm, describe how you have it set up, kind of your day-to-day practice, and uh, you know how your philosophy is in handling your firm. Yeah, sure. Um, I would say my firm is very small, uh, very efficient, and very effective. Uh, I had the good fortune of, of training under some of the best injury lawyers in Georgia for a while, and then in January of 2010 – it's hard to believe, uh, started my own firm. And I chose to keep things very small and focus on a limited number of cases. So my firm setup is that I have myself and then I have uh, one paralegal, Aaron Harris, who's been with me for about 10 years. And it's just the two of us. Um, as you know, I lease an office that has plenty of space and we sublease to other lawyers so that there's a lot of give and take when you have cases you can uh, talk through with other lawyers that may not technically be part of your firm. But we've kept things small, uh, lean, and I think efficient. So in terms of like volume of cases, I've always you know, seen your focus is you're working on and you're focusing on the hiring cases. You can dedicate all of your energy to them. You know, every case in your law firm you are personally handling as opposed to other law firms that you know have associates, things of that nature. So has that been your philosophy from day one? Is that something that you think you're going to continue on the rest of your career? So, yes, it has been my philosophy since day one. Um, I mean, frankly, I wasn't trained on doing smaller cases. And there are lawyers out there, some of whom will probably listen to this episode, that make a whole lot of money casting a wide net doing small, smaller cases in much larger volume. Um, I just was never trained to do that. I'm not comfortable working on those. So we do what I like to consider spearfishing, which is we're out there hunting for, for bigger cases. So it's, it's higher risk, higher reward. And with respect to your second question, yes, I would anticipate continuing to do that because that's the only thing I've, I've known. I think we've, we've done it pretty well. Now, you, you get calls from clients that have cases that are, for lack of a better word, smaller than the case that you work on. Um, your philosophy has always been you have other lawyers you have relationships with that you, you know, introduce those clients to those lawyers and have them step in and handle cases. Does that accurately explain the way you, you view that? It does, yeah. There, a few years ago, I thought about hiring an associate and letting an associate work on smaller cases. And frankly, that might be more profitable for me, but I've chosen a different path, which is refer out smaller cases to lawyers that I like and trust that I know will do a good job and just keep those sort of out of my firm so that I can focus on the stuff that I know that we're good at. 
Now, Brian, looking at your firm, um, please answer the same kind of questions. D- describe the setup. You know, describe your your employees. You have an associate. Yeah. Um, paralegals. Describe how you've gone about it. So yeah, we're kind of the opposite. Um, and you know, it, what Andy was saying makes a lot of sense for how Andy set up his firm. And you know, what he was just saying in the end, uh, talking about smaller cases and referring them out. I would almost disagree with him with saying that it could have been a mistake with not hiring an associate to work on smaller cases because I do believe watching his firm for the last 10 years and working very closely with Andy on many, many, many cases, the cases that he refers out to other lawyers that are cases that he doesn't want to handle because they're not big enough are what also brings him back larger cases. Those lawyers who want to work on smaller cases and aren't going to feel comfortable litigating a seven-figure case by themselves are going to call him, and that's how he lands his big fish, which is great, and it's worked very, very well for him. Um, I'm a, In my opinion, the way I've set up our firm over the years, I'm kind of, in my opinion, almost a unicorn in Atlanta. We and I say that because is that because you're good hair or it's well now it's, it's that's one reason yeah it's, it's the primary reason it's let's the be primary honest. reason yeah um, no, we we're not a big box firm you know we don't have we're not you know advertising how we're the you know largest law firm in the city or have fifty lawyers you know it's me an associate another partner that mainly does criminal stuff um, and I even came up in a stranger way to where as Andy was saying he trained under some of the best. PI lawyers in Atlanta, and he's 100% right. Um, whereas I came up through the criminal court system as a prosecutor, learning how to litigate cases in court on the other side, and you know, kind of started a firm under a niche, which basically, if you don't know anything about our firm, all, 95% of what I do are all motor, motorcycle accidents, which is a, it's a niche. Um, but what I'll say we're a little bit different is, is a lot of guys that litigate cases, including Andy, um, Josh, you're more of a mixture um, of, of direct in versus referral cases, whereas 98% of my cases are direct in. Explain, well, what, explain what that means. Yeah. Um, because, because I, you know, when I started doing this kind of work, that was kind of new to me, that there's this concept of cases can come to law firms in many Correct. different ways. Yeah. Um, so when you say direct in, yeah. explain what you mean by that. Um, it will go into it a lot more when we start talking about advertising, but that's kind of how I've set up my firm. Whereas, you know, a big case may land in Andy's lap or your lap, and both of you guys, have, I've done this with both of you, it may land in your lap, but it may not have been where that uh, that client called you directly. Maybe they called me, maybe they called a lawyer that you referred cases to, and it's a big case, and they'll bring you in to litigate the case with them. Which like, would be the referral situation. The referral situation, Exactly. Whereas with most of my cases, almost every one of my clients called us directly. And, you know, they, they found us versus them being, you know, introduced to another attorney. You know, and that's kind of the way that we've set up our firm in marketing down the line was to get pretty much 100% direct in cases to where they heard, they've heard of us. They knew all we do is motorcycle stuff. They get in a motorcycle accident, they call us. Well, let's talk a little bit more about that because your firm has made the decision to focus, and I'll let you do the percentage, but of, of, of the work that you handle, not only is it personal injury plan work, but it is motorcycles. What percentage of your cases are motorcycle cases, would you say? 
I'd say around 90. Okay. And that means a case where a rear client was on a motorcycle when the, when the wreck happened. Correct. All right. Now, when you talk about marketing, a question I've always had, and Andy, you can jump in here too, but I've always had a hard time understanding the difference between marketing and branding. I think that, that you have branded your firm as a motorcycle only firm. And now you market yourself as that firm to the general public. Am I wrong in, 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 in that? Or how do you view those two principles? No, actually, that's really an interesting kind of point that you make the difference of branding versus marketing, because it's not something I've, I think about all the time, but you are 100% accurate. So I personally made a decision about seven, eight years ago to market a little bit differently than most law firms market in, in the city. And I probably spend a higher percentage of our net income in marketing than other what I always call big box firms, like the firms you see on TV and the billboards you see around Atlanta. What we've done is we go the opposite direction. This was a, a conscious decision I made a long time ago to where I don't want people to necessarily, well, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't want to only market to people so they call us after they had a motorcycle accident. I want, like you said, with branding, I want people to know our name of Steel Horse Law before they have that accident. And that's a huge difference to where, you know, we spend a ton of time and money every year on what I call grassroots marketing. And when I say grassroots marketing, I mean, I've got individuals, and we'll talk about more later, but I have individuals who work for us that spend five nights out of the week going to different events, doing promotions with, with dealerships, you know, um, getting our name out there. I have spent countless hours giving speeches at Harley Davidson dealerships, explaining what uninsured motorist coverage is and how, you know, and what they need to do in advance of getting into an accident. So when they do call, because we've branded well, they hopefully have themselves set up. Because what I always tell people when I'm speaking to them is, you know, the worst conversation I have with individuals after they get into an accident is that there's not enough coverage available. But they'll, and they'll always tell me that there's not enough coverage because no one ever told them what to do. So we do the best we can with getting our name out there. So when they call, they get into an accident, what I've always said is this, when somebody gets into a motorcycle accident, they call me, I don't want them to Google Atlanta motorcycle lawyer. You I want be, them you to be Google, ahead of that. I want them to Google Seahorse Law. That's the difference between marketing and branding. Right. Now, now, Andy, you've gone about your marketing efforts in a totally different way. You've been successful with what you have done. How do you contrast Brian's approach to what you've done? Yeah, it's a good question. Let me first say, with respect to Brian's firm, um, something that he wouldn't say, which is <clears throat> while they do a lot of marketing and advertising, Brian and, and his uh, partners and the other folks at their firm are, are real lawyers. Okay, and there's a big difference. A lot of people around Atlanta see these constant billboard advertisements and they see commercials and these guys are just taking in cases and they're referring them out. Uh, Brian and his firm advertise, but they're real lawyers and they do an excellent job on motorcycle cases. Um, so I would say that marketing and advertising is the weakest part of my practice. Are, are we in the trust tree in the nest? Can I be, can I be open and honest? Please, that's what we're here for. Okay, and I don't know if it's the Breckenridge talking, which is delicious, by the way. But um, I think I'm a much better lawyer than I am an advertiser and a marketer. And that's always been a weak point for me. Um, 
I think I've had whatever success I've had branding my firm for, for auto and trucking cases. And then the child injury side, I think has just been a function of getting the cases, doing a good job on them, you know, paying good referral fees to my referral lawyers. And, and it sort of organically happened that way. Um, you know, we do have a website and I think we're going to talk about SEO stuff later, but, um, as far as putting a lot of, uh, effort into other advertising like Brian and his firm has done. Uh, I've not done a great job at that. Well, I'm going to push, push back on that a little bit because I think that you're selling yourself short. Um, I'm five ten, but I don't know. <laughs> I think that what you have done is tell you that, how good of a basketball player is what, what were, what, what year? Well, not, the year's not important. I'm getting older, but as I remember, I was, I was pretty good. Pretty on the varsity team, right? So what I, what I was going to say in terms of, in terms of the way I look at your branding I think that what you've done a very good job at is that when people see you or or hear about your name, they associate you with certain types of cases, a truck wreck that's got a very serious injury, a car wreck that's got a very serious injury, a a broken bone, a major surgery, unfortunately, you know, deaths, that's a lot of the cases that you handle. And so I think that when you say you haven't marketed yourself, maybe you feel like not to the world at large, but to the to the plaintiff's bar, to the to the legal world, that's what they associate you with. And I think that the better example of that is how you have created a niche in child injury work that you have a website please say what the website is so my main website is just andrewgoldner.com right you have a secondary website right. we've got we've got atlanta um child injury lawyer uh, com as well and um you know so i th- we're one of the the only if not the only firm that has a, a, a child injury website so when you made that decision five years ago ten years ago whatever what kind of things did you focus on in the child injury space to make people think about you when they get a call about, you know, an unfortunate event involving a child. Yeah. I think what I saw was lawyers on the plaintiff side approaching a child injury case in the same way as an adult injury case. And like an auto and truck wreck are very different cases. A child injury case and an adult injury case are very different for many, many reasons that, you know, we probably don't have the time or enough Breckenridge left to talk about. But scarring is one example we can use. Scarring on the face of a child, for example, um, that's seven or eight years old, has a vastly different legal value than scarring on the face of a 75-year-old man. And what I saw from lawyers asking me to review their demand packages and cases that they asked me to associate on was that a lot of lawyers were going about it the wrong way and they were undervaluing child injury cases. And so I really like helping kids. Um, and so I years ago just decided to make that a primary focus of my practice. And from that, we've gotten a lot of daycare negligence cases, a lot of kids injured in auto and trucking wrecks and things like that. One thing I've noticed that you do is um, we all kind of laugh and trade messages about the GTLA listserv because there are just some ridiculous comments that get asked and or questions that, that get asked. That stands for Georgia Trial Lawyer Association. We have an internal listserv where people share questions, share ideas. And you did a very good job of piping in every time there was a question or an issue that involved, you know, how do you get these child injury settlements approved? How do you, you know, handle scarring issues? And so whether you meant to or not, I feel like you were very quick in those situations to be the one who's like at the forefront of answering those questions. Was that a, was that a decision you made or just something that kind of happened? No, I think it's a decision I made. I, obviously it helps get 
the firm's name out there for child injury cases. But the other part of it is just an effort to help other lawyers that may not be going about it the right way or not know which way to go. You know, I, I do think the plaintiff's bar, at least in Atlanta, does a pretty in Georgia statewide maybe does a really good job of helping each other once a case comes in, you know, serving as resources and and you know to your point, some questions that are asked in our list serve just make you cringe. They're just awful, and others you kind of want to help the person. So, so switching gears a little bit, you you brought up a, a point that I actually had written down, which is you literally can't drive anywhere in Atlanta without seeing a billboard about some personal injury firm. You can't turn on the radio without hearing, you know, personal injury ad or a divorce attorney, bankruptcy attorney. Um, Brian, by no means am I lumping your firm in with the firms that we see with the mass advertising. However, I am curious because something that I struggle with, how can you distinguish what your firm is doing versus what these other firms that are all over the place on billboards are telling people that they can do? How do you, how do you stand apart from them? Uh, goes back to your original question of branding versus advertising. <clears throat> um, if you, I do a lot of my own commercials, and even the ones I don't voice, I write almost every single one of my commercials. So I make sure that I get what I want said, even if, even if it's um, you know we we do some stuff with like WSB that with like Eric Von Hessler is phenomenal. By the way, if you don't listen to Eric, he's great. Um, you know we used to work with with boards um you know we've done stuff on other on other stations with with you know um with djs and stuff but even those advertisements i usually hand write and what i use the radio for is more of branding just to remember our name um a lot of other firms they go the opposite way you you'll hear them say Things like, you know, you've been injured in an auto accident, call blank and blank. That's not me. I want you to remember our name. So if, God forbid, everybody, anybody gets in a motorcycle accident, you know, they, they're like, hey, I'm, I remember that steel horse guy where I met him or I, you know, he I went to a speech he gave. And I think that's just the difference. I don't love the concept of marketing in the legal, in the legal world. I struggled with it for years. I don't believe you should be able to send you know, uh, what I call jail mail. I don't believe that, you know, it should be public record when somebody gets arrested and 15 law firms send you something in the mail trying to advertise uh, because you got in trouble. Uh, I don't believe in, you know, law firms trying to pull police reports or paying off cops and stuff like that. I don't even love billboards and radio for that matter. Um, we don't do any billboards for that reason, actually. But I use the radio just for more of a branding pur- purpose and a marketing purpose. I f- find it a little more ethical, in my opinion. So I'm, I'm, I'm very, you probably can tell, I'm very fascinated about the whole marketing stuff, branding stuff. I read a lot about it. I feel very comfortable in my ability to do the legal work, but I'm always trying to learn more mm-hmm. about the marketing side and the, and the advertising side and marketing, not marketing, but branding. Um, y'all made a decision, your firm, to, to name it Steel Horse Law, not Karen Law Firm, not whatever, which is very, very unique. And I've been with you several times when the conversation led to a place where someone said, oh, yeah, Steel Horse Law, motorcycle. What is, and, and then you're like, oh, yeah, that's me. That's very unique. Are there any other firms that have kind of gone that direction <laughs> where their firm name signifies what they do? Well, yeah, I had a firm uh, in South Carolina that did that a couple of years ago because they 
decided to name themselves Iron Horse Law, which that, we had that work out for which them. We had trademarked. Nah, yeah. Um, no, very few, to be honest with you, and it surprises me. I've seen some some firms try to do it based off of a location. Uh, I think that the fact that we have a niche of motorcycles again help. It was kind of the reason we did that. Uh, you know, when we first started this thing, I mean, it's no secret, like. You know, we named ourselves Steel Horse Law based off of a Bon Jovi song, because on a, a steel, great Bon Jovi, a song. great Bon Jovi song on a Steel Horse I Ride, and it just stuck. And it does surprise me that fewer people have tried to do it. Um, Georgia allows you to do it. Uh, some states don't. Some states will not let you use a trade name. You're allowed to use a trade name in Georgia as a law firm as long as you also have a your um, you ask a legal entity like we're the Stein and Karen Law Group. That's our legal name. But you can DBA as a as a as a trademark name. Can I put the pause hit the pause button real quick? Can we ask Andy to compare and contrast Bon Jovi versus Poison? Mm. Wow, you just about made my head explode. That's it. I love where your head's at. Are we going specific songs or bands? Question is to him. You answered as you want. Yeah, geez. So here's what I'm getting hung up on is that if there's a better power ballad than Fallen Angel, um, I've not heard it, okay? I knew that was directly where you were going to go. Yeah, yeah well, you guys have both been with me on a number of occasions where one or the other of you have put on Fallen Angel after I've had a couple of drinks, specifically to watch my now regionally famous Fallen Angel dance routine. And and I don't know whether to be offended or complimented. Maybe there's a fine line between the two. I would say it's probably a fine mixture of both. Yeah. And embarrassment I'd throw in there. Oh, there's no question. There's a certain element of embarrassment. But um, Bon Jovi, you know, the humanitarian, he's involved in politics. He's got he's, great hair. I knew you'd bring that up. Why does it always come back to hair? Uh, I think he, you know, he owns part of a sports team. Very, very active. The Poison guys were just comfortable in their skin being 1980s power ballad, you know, rockers. Now, Josh, I'm going to answer your question directly. Okay, if if I had to choose, I'm going. I'm on Team Poison. I'm okay, on hold on a sec. I'm gonna. I want to. Your 50th birthday is coming up pretty soon. Well, it's not that soon. But I mean, it's getting there. If you could hire one of the two to do a private performance for your 50th birthday, which is like a year and a half from now. Oh, it's not a year and a half from now. Which, which one would you, and they have the same price, who who be hired? So again, not to answer like a lawyer, but you've placed me between what I want to do and my wife. Okay. And both of y'all you know. Shout her. out to Amanda. Shout out to Amanda. She's five foot something, but she's terrifying. Right. And so she would want me to go with Bon Jovi. But I, my heart, my heart says poison. So I'd be interested. Pandora keeps all sorts of statistics about how often you play certain radio stations. Both of them are in my, I'd say, top ten, right? Where I'd listen to Pandora, I'd click on them. Poison. Probably comes out ahead. I think that Poison draws um, from a better selection of similar bands uh, than Bon Jovi. So I'm going Poison. Yeah, appreciate Fallen it. Angel. I can't, I can't argue with, with that. You Team Bon Jovi over here. I'd have to go back to my office where I got Bill and Melissa, both from New Jersey, and tell them that I hired Poison over Bon Jovi. They would they would trash my office. Speak. Let's talk about Bill for a second. Um, I I, I, I that's, find that's Bill true. I find Bill a huge asset to your firm. I know you do too. His beard alone. His beard alone. Um, talk about 
kind of office management. Not saying you have to manage Bill that much, but but you know, all we talk, all we hear about is how no one wants to work anymore and you know, this new generation is lazy. I'm not saying they are, they're not, but that's what you hear. They don't want to clock in. Like you have a lot of management responsibilities. How do you, how do you go about that on a day-to-day basis to keep people working for you, keep them productive? And, and cause you don't, you, don't, you have very little turnover. No, so so no, how, how do you, yeah. how do you do that? Um, well, it's a great question. We have a, <clears throat> an unbelievable staff. I mean, we have a very, very loyal, uh, firm. Um, Listen, what you were saying with Bill is, no, I don't manage Bill at all because he's a phenomenal lawyer, but his ability to do what he does and to be the litigator that he is and be able to handle clients like he does allows me to do a lot of other things that allow our firm to be as successful as it is, which is I'm in a unique situation, which I'm actually very, very grateful for because, you know, if you Bill, Bill being as good of a lawyer as he is lets me do a lot of stuff that he wouldn't want to do and which I don't disagree with him, but that I'm also good at. And, you know, it also allows me to delegate responsibility to other individuals in my, in, in my firm. Um, I'll give a shout out to Melissa and Shannon and Ruth. I'll give a shout out to them too. They're fantastic. They're fantastic. Tremendous. You know, know, it, it lets me, it lets me have my hands on everything. Josh, you and I had a very interesting discussion in the car yesterday when we were on our way down to watch, the worst seven and eight football team I've ever seen play football. I'm going to challenge you on that in about 20 minutes. We're going to talk a lot of Falcons, but continue where your, <laughs> where your thought is. No, about, you know, how we can keep as successful as we are with a smaller staff. Because I don't have a huge staff. But it, it, it's, it, it allow, it, it's honestly, we're successful because it allows me to kind of keep my hands on everything, on all the facets of the firm, on the marketing, on the actual legal practice, on the litigation side, but not devote an entire day to something. I always kind of joke around with my wife about that. Like if, you know, I was never diagnosed with ADD when I was a kid, but if, if, if I was a kid in 2021, I would probably be on medication because I can't concentrate on anything for more than like 20 minutes, which actually works for how our firm works. 20 minutes, 20 seconds. I, I, I'll, I'll, we'll work on cases together and I'll send you a report that I just loved and I thought it was great. And you're like, Josh, I ain't reading this. I say report, a demand letter. Yeah. I'm like, Brian, it's four pages. You're like, I ain't reading this. I'll send you an email that's like four paragraphs. I'm like, what do you think, Brian? He's like, I ain't reading question. this. I don't know if there's a medal of honor for wives, but if there is, Christine deserves one. Putting up with him? Well, yeah. Yeah. There's no You're question. Far too nice. <laughs> uh, but no, I mean, that's, that's kind of it. But to go back to your original question, because I, like I always do, I just kind of uh, go off on a tangent. Um, you're right. We have no turnover at our office or very, very little. And it's because of how we treat them, too. And I think my staff would tell tell you just that. Um, we're a very family firm, meaning that, I mean, we go out to lunches together a couple times a week. We'll do happy hours. Uh, we bring a masseuse in every Monday, which I know Josh is very jealous of. See, no, you, you actually stole my next question because I asked Andy, I said, what is it that you want me to ask Brian today? And he said... For the love of God, why will Brian not invite me to Masseuse Monday? It's Monday. You just got to show up. Any Monday. Is, is this, this the first you're hearing of this? You can just show up? Your, Josh, your podcast has breaking news. Let me get this straight. You have, how have I, we've known each other over 10 years. Correct. My right? point has just been proven. I, and, and, I, and I'm just now hearing you have a masseuse that comes to your office on Mondays? Yes. You have a pedicurist that comes Tuesdays? No, just, just masseuse. 
I mean, what's going on over there? Keeps people happy. Keeps people there. Start keeping me happy on Mondays, yeah. I'll tell you that. Well, I think it goes back to what we talked about, which is, you know, you've got to set up a culture that does things like that. That's thinking outside the box. That's something that makes your staff happy. Um, it's not that hard to do, I imagine. Now, no. do, you, do you get massages every Monday? 20 minutes every Monday. I was a little upset she wasn't there today, but I think it was just because of, a, you know, Christmas. The last kind of technical thing I want to talk about is our car ride yesterday. And I'm going to ask you this question, Andy, but me and you talked about it yesterday. Have y'all, either of y'all read the book, The E-Myth by Michael Gerber? I've not read it, but you and I talked about it a bunch yesterday. So, so I'm going to give this recommendation to all the listeners. Anybody that's, that's in a small business, wants to, start, wants to start a small business, it's really insightful about how to, to go about making proper decisions, both in your systems and how you structure your company. And I think that this, this goes for law firms, goes for any other type of business. And what he preaches is that there are basically three roles in any sort of company that's successful. There's the entrepreneur, the vision, the one who's, who he or she that sees where the company's going to go. There's the manager that oversees the day-to-day. And then there's the technician that carries out the work. Andy, I think that, that you, well, I don't think, I know that you wear all three hats in your firm. So talk about those three roles and how you don't necessarily have to put somebody in each one of those boxes as long as you're thinking about carrying out the functions of each in your firm. Right. So when I started practicing law, which now feels like it was during the Nixon administration about 20 years ago, they used to call it finders, minders, and grinders. You'd have people that would find the business, people that would mind the business, and people that would grind the business, work on it. So I think what you're talking about is a a more millennial hipster way to describe it. When you have a small firm, uh, or in a very small firm like mine, obviously you have to play all the roles. Um, and I'll defer to Brian, but I would imagine that even in medium or larger firms with the way society has evolved, um, you don't necessarily have to have one person fulfilling you know, uh, each individual role or all the roles. I think it depends on the person's skill set. And for better or worse, when you have a firm like mine, I've got to wear all the hats you know, all the time. What that does, though, I think for you and, and my firm, too, for that matter, I, I, I wear all three hats as well. Um, I think that by nature, you're going to be better at some hats than others. You no mentioned earlier that you felt like some of your deficiencies were in, were in the marketing perspective, which could be maybe the entrepreneur side. But as a technician, if you decide that that's what you can be really good at and you're going to be the best in your craft, you can kind of go all in in terms of if you, if you have hundred percent of your time in a week, you can dedicate a lot more of that time to working the case upright, learning how to do the cases right, getting the cases prepared for trial, wherever the, the, the widget is that, that your company is. And so I think that, that, that you probably spend more of your time as the technician or the, what is the three words? Grinder, I guess. But you're finding them too, right? So how do you kind of say like, you're, you're, you're going to find the case because you have to, but you're also going to be the best at grinding it and working it. Well, I, th- I think the hope is that the case is fine to you. The, yeah, I think the hope is that if you're doing a good job in our world, in the legal personal injury world, if you're maximizing the value of cases and getting, most importantly, your clients the best return that they can get on their case, and then you're getting your referral lawyers um, more than they expect or surpassing their expectations on referral fees, hopefully the cases will continue to find you because people know that you're doing a good job. I agree. Yeah, that's very good. All right, Brian, switching gears to, to the last topic for kind of 
law firm management. Can we talk about, you were talking about hats though. I currently like the hat Andy's wearing the best of all three, all of his three hats. But well, this that's a my, great segue. So, this would be my fourth hat. Actually. That's your fourth hat? Yeah. Okay. yeah. That's, a, that's a fantastic segue. So one of the things that, that well, I want to make sure that we do talk about, and we were going to talk about, but your segue is better than mine ever could have been, is working on cases together. Yeah. And, and the power of having a partner on a case to maximize the ultimate outcome. Now, I'm going to let you guys talk about the cases you've worked on. There have been many. There have been some, some just, frankly, mind-blowing, unbelievable results. They've resulted in uh, fun nights out. They've resulted in pranks. They've resulted in great text messages during mediations. They've resulted in uh, wardrobes and animals. So I will let you take that whatever direction you want in terms of some successes the two you guys have had together. I think that, you know, this kind of goes back to, you know, how the difference of our firms and how we're set up. But I will say, I would say eight of the 10 most successful, when I say most successful, I mean largest either verdicts or settlements that I've done have been cases that I've worked with another lawyer on. And I guess I do it a little bit differently than a lot of people. A lot of lawyers, and these a lot of these end up in Andy's lap and Josh's lap, but a lot of lawyers will just simply be like, hey, I got a great case and um, will you litigate this for me and, you know, and give me a referral fee? That's great. For a lot of lawyers, but I think that those are ones that maybe either don't have the litigation experience or or just don't don't want to put the energy into it. Um, where I look at it the other way around is, uh, and this is you know we've all three of us have talked about this m- many many times. There's plenty of cases out there for lawyers. Um, there's plenty of cases to the point where you don't have to. Pardon my French, be a jackass about uh, uh, when you're a plaintiff's lawyer. Like you can, you can work cases with other with other individuals, and you're going to learn a lot. I've learned a ton from litigating cases with Andy, with you, Josh, with other lawyers that I'm good friends with, and we've done phenomenal. We brought in seven, eight figure cases, the in settlements doing just that, and those cases wouldn't have been that big if you, if we, in my opinion, if we weren't working them together. Because I think that it's just I mean, it's the same thing your mom told you when you were a kid. Like, two heads are better than one. And, you know, if you can, if you can use your experience to, uh, to work with another attorney, they're just going to get better. And I've done that in my career for 10 years. And not, on, the, on the other part of it, not only just between – from a financial perspective – it's also fun. It's more fun. It is. It's more fun. totally more it's fun. It's more fun. The, yeah. the, the, the telephone calls are more fun. The text messages are more fun. It's just it's, it's Mediations better. are more fun. Mediations but- are more fun. So, so about that, um, I, I was on a – I was very honored to be on a, a text thread while y'all were in a very high, intense mediation recently where y'all were communicating via text because y'all were both uh, handling the stress of where y'all were at different ways. Brian, I would like for you first to describe how Andy handles stress at mediation, and then Andy, you can describe <laughs> how Brian handles stress at mediation. Uh, well, I mean, I think it depends on how stressful the situation is. Um, the case you're talking about specifically was an extraordinarily stressful case, also one of the largest settlements I'll probably ever be involved in. Um, but it did bear us having uh, two turtles named after us and staring at some hats right now that are pretty sweet. Um, you know, a lot of times with Andy and I have done this, you and I have done this. A lot of times we try to establish 
going in maybe almost like a good cop, bad cop routine. And a lot of times that works very well. Uh, you know, I think that is going to change how you're going to kind of do a mediation like that or how the stress is going to manifest itself. And the one you're talking about, I think we were just fine for a while until close to the end. And there were some decisions that we, we had to make kind of on a fly. I'll of, just flat out ask, where does Andy make his decisions the best? Uh, he was in the bathroom for a good part of it. That, that's not that's not false. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. For the listener, that's not false. I mean, I can pull the text message. I believe the text was, if I remember of memory, I got a really good memory. I believe the, 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 if the mediator, who I won't name his name, if blank comes back, I'll be in the bathroom for a little while. Exactly how it read. And he was in the bathroom, as it was told to me. Yeah. Now, Andy, yeah. don't let him get off easy. No. no. So, yeah, the particular case you're, you're referring to, so, some have classified as among the largest wrongful death settlements pre-trial in Georgia history. So we had a lot of pressure on us for the client. And when the client looks at you and says, you know, Mr. Brian, Mr. Andy, what should I do? That's a lot of pressure, right? It's not the same type of pressure that a surgeon faces for obvious reasons. But as far as we go, uh, when you're dealing with with that sort of money it, and the client asks you what to do, uh, there's a lot of pressure. So Brian decided uh, to test out uh, his Fitbit and he did more laps around the mediation house that we were at than I think the carpet thread count would allow. In fact, did we get invoiced for replacing the carpet afterwards? I, if we didn't, we should have. I have the tendency to, um, he's a pacer to pace when I'm stressed. I believe as a note, I'm looking at a note on my outline right now that, that Andy will tell you is 100% not my handwriting um, that says Brian has stressed TMJ. It's what it says. Stress TMJ. That's from now, my, my, my dad is a dentist. Is this some, some sort of a you know, uh, diagnosis no, I, yeah, he can no, come up yeah. with? I believe Andy at one point asked me, um, he was worried that I was having a heart attack. So the case that Brian and I uh, had, and, and we were fortunate enough to secure this lady generational wealth for her family um her way of of repaying us for her, her and her children or children's children not having to work anymore was that she named their two pet turtles after brian and i little andy and little brian little andy and little brian so somewhere in north georgia as we speak here on this podcast which i think is going phenomenally well by the way uh there there are two turtles what are y'all's what are y'all's visitation rights on these turtles I, I've been, we've been told we have we have full visitation. Did you get them a Christmas present? Uh, they actually got. They were sent a Christmas. They were they were sent a Christmas card. Yes. So to commemorate, and I will move off the topic, but to commemorate that case and the gravity and seriousness with which that case should have been taken, Brian had made for us two mesh hats. Actually, no. This this is a shout out to Catherine Scott with ML Healthcare. Oh, Catherine Scott who does a phenomenal job with uh with. <laughs> with clients of ours and making sure that they get taken care of and get, you know, treatment they deserve and, and need if they don't have health insurance, Catherine and Ryan, her boyfriend, uh, provided these beautiful tokens for us. Uh, best, best medical funding company in the business. No question. And, and the, I like turtles mesh hat is going to be a fixture in the Goldner household. Coming to a beach near you. Right. It's going to, it's all right. It's, let's, let's change gears. We could talk about all this stuff forever, but 
what I, I've been I've been known to talk very heavy UGA football, Atlanta Braves, which you guys can talk that as well. I'm not as much UGA football, but Braves. But I've got the opportunity today to talk to some folks about stuff that's outside of those two topics. So, Brian, we'll start with you because you are a Southern boy living in SEC football country that is now a Big Ten basketball fan. You you went to IU. Um, you you are a Hoosiers basketball fan. Die hard. Um, are they still good? They still have a good basketball program? They are, I think, I was actually, it's funny you say that because I just got about an hour and a half ago, I got a text like the new AP 20, top 25 is out. And um, I think they're right now, they're 11 and two, I believe. Uh, they've lost two games, one in overtime and one on a last second shot to Syracuse and Wisconsin, respectively. Other than that, they'd be undefeated. And they got zero votes for the top 25 in the AP, which I think is a just disaster. Uh, probably no, voting fraud. It's, it, is, it probably is voting fraud. You're now, Mike Woodson, is he, there, is he the coach? Yeah, we need to call Rasper and see if he can look into this for us. I'm with you. So, Mike, yeah, Woodson's our new head coach. He used to be um, with the Hawks. He was an assistant, I believe, there. He played with them. He w- he played at IU, then co- uh, was an, a longtime NBA assistant coach. I think he coached the Knicks, too. He the did Knicks. coach the Knicks, you're right. Um, he took over uh, last year after getting rid of the guy they had for a couple of years um, who replaced Tom Crean, who's currently blowing up the UGA basketball program. So, so my listeners – so people that are George basketball fans cannot stand Tom Crean. No. They, they think that he absolutely is killing the program. They're probably right. I agree with that. What's his story? Was he, was he ever a good coach, or is he just living off of one good run he had? So, no, I'll, gi- I'll, I'll give you that. And I don't know this for a fact. I don't know Tom Crean. I watched him coach at IU for years. He, um, I think Tom Crean's actually a very, very good basketball coach. I do not necessarily think that Tom Crean is a very good basketball recruiter. Um, See, I would actually say the opposite. He's he's he brought in at least in Georgia. He brought in Anthony Edwards, but he had no help, and then did nothing with him. Yeah. He 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 now he can't keep he can't keep a single player there. They yeah. can't they can't field a team. So I mean, I, the only reason I say that is I watched. I, I had the opportunity to take being such a huge Hoosier fan. I got the opportunity to take my son when he was he's thirteen now, probably eight up to Bloomington to watch a game. It was the first game I'd been to since I graduated. And I bought a seat basically directly behind the bench of, of IU. And uh, I got to listen to him. I, got to, I could hear every word he said. That man coached every second of the game. And when I, Individual players taught, telling guys where to be. He probably has the most foul mouth of any human I've ever heard and probably wasn't great for my eight-year-old son, but he learns. Uh, but he just isn't successful. Uh, IU's becoming a much better program since he left, and I hate saying that because I think he's probably a good dude. Um, he just he's not winning, and 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 it, that sucks. And you know, listen, I I went to Indiana during the Bobby Knight phase, so what I've seen all doing these days. By the way, not a whole lot from what I understand. Uh, living in Bloomington, being extremely angry at the at the in, <laughs> Indiana University. Now, Andy is a Virginia grad. Yes, sir. And Virginia basketball has actually had a lot more success recently than Indiana basketball. Correct. How are you enjoying this recent success of the the Cavs? So, in the interest of full disclosure, since I left Charlottesville, I have not followed Virginia basketball or football that closely. Um, Remember, he just pretends to be like a UGA and Alabama football fan at the same time. Oh, we'll get there. Well, 
first of all, it's not pretending. We'll get there. But, uh, you know, I did. Obviously, they won the national title a couple years ago, uh, which was great. And um, I, I think that they, they hit a run of good success, obviously, that year. Virginia basketball is interesting, though. They always seem to have a couple losses, and it's already happened this year, where you're like, you lost to that team? But then they'll make the they'll make the grade eight. It's inexplicable, really. I'll be honest. Didn't they drop like a couple years ago in the tournament? Like a it was like a fifteen two game or a thir- they get, I think it was they were 16, the one. one. They were the first team ever. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I'll be honest. I don't really follow college basketball that much. But more importantly, Brian asked the question earlier. I'm going to give you your chance now to answer it. The last podcast, you were singled out as both a UGA fan and an Alabama fan. Yeah. I want to give you the floor to explain yourself, and then when push comes to shove, where you fall. Let me answer the last question first, which is where, where push comes to shove, I always root for Alabama, unapologetically. Um, let me also push back at the notion that you can't be a Georgia and Alabama fan at the same time. Obviously, my, my, my wife, Dana, would, would say otherwise. She's a brilliant lady. That's true. Um, she, 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 is, she has foregone her Alabama you know, roots, and she's a Georgia fan, but continue. So you can't be a Georgia and a Florida fan at the same time. You can't be an Alabama and an Auburn fan at the same time. I would I would say you can be a Georgia and, Al- and an Alabama fan at the same time with the proper foundation. So here's mine. I was born in Alabama. I was the first person in my family not to go to Alabama. There are pictures of me as a baby in Alabama onesies, and I didn't have the choice. Goldner men are Alabama fans. That's just the way it is. Okay? So all I knew was Alabama football. I then went to Georgia Law School uh, from 1999 to 2002, which used to not sound that long ago, but now it sounds like I'm talking about the Civil War era. But whatever. Um, I, I'm, I'm a very big Georgia football fan. I've been to 50-plus games at Sanford Stadium. I think it's a class program. Um, and I root for Georgia every day of the year, except when they play Alabama. So, it's, like, it's like making out with your cousin, which I guess. It's, well, it's, it's, okay speak- Al- it's, like, it's okay in Alabama to do, so it makes sense. I mean, if it ain't broke. All of my, all of my takes have been very pro-Georgia. All my predictions are yeah. very pro-Georgia. Uh, 30 seconds. Yeah. What is Alabama's kind of path towards a championship this year? Yeah, so I think, you know, people give a lot of pushback when Alabama fans talk about injuries. And the, and the answer is always, well, there's another four or more likely five-star behind the guy that got injured. That's obviously true, but it's equally true that the reason that there was a reason that the other guy was starting. Alabama has had as many injuries to significant players as any other team in the country this year, and that's a statement of fact, not an opinion. You can look at who's been injured, um, including Mechie, who had eight catches for 97 yards, I think, in the first half against Georgia. He blew out his ACL in the second half. Um and so there have been tons and tons of injuries. And I know that as Brian's doing now, he's shaking that $48 haircut. And, well, you tipped her, I'm so, sure. So, so, so is this your lead-in to say that you don't think Alabama wins championship this year? So I don't know. I, you know, I think I've told you a couple months ago and others that I think Georgia has been the best team in the country all year. I mean, I've said that. Okay. Um, Nick Saban has some sort of – magic during the, the the playoffs where Alabama seems to rise to the occasion. But Kirby Smart trained under Nick Saban. And Alabama, like it or not to hear, uh, Brian, you can tune out, Indiana's not in the college football playoffs. But. My favorite part about Brian's college football situation right now is that he's a Tech fan. Oh. 
Georgia Tech? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. his children, or at least his daughter I know, wears Georgia gear now. My daughter only wears Georgia gear because you buy it for her. Accurate. And, and by the and way, she, and she wears it. And but she does. but, and, but, but being a Georgia Tech fan, by the way, listen, I grew up a Georgia Tech fan. I am a Georgia Tech fan. I'll be the first one to admit it. That is, it is painful. What is Tech's path to any sort of let's call it relevancy? Not even success, just relevancy. Blowing it all up. Didn't they just try that? Yes. So blow, you blow it up, up again. again. Maybe Bobby Kermans comes back as a football. As coach. a football coach. Hey, the plus side of being a Georgia Tech fan now is that you can get. All the stuff on the clearance rack at TJ Maxx. But you know what else is great about having a, being a Georgia Tech fan is we've won a championship. It, 1990. What? In 1990, yeah. When when did UGA? Well, that's what Tech fans love to say. Yeah, <laughs> I, I wish I had some sort of that response. was 1980. Yeah. Other than you know, we, well, I'll trade our 30 years of success versus <laughs> y'all's one one run. So yeah, Jeff, to, Co- wait, real, real quick, Jeff Collins, uh, he's your coach, right? Mm-hmm. I mean. I feel like he came in branding. We talked a lot about branding earlier, the 404. What, what's wrong with him? They're not going in the right direction. <sighs> They're not going in the right direction. I think that he's done a really good job. Uh, uh, I will say, I mean, I read, let's, we'll see what happens. I read the other day, they, were, they had a top 20, 25 recruiting class, which shocked me, to be honest with you, when I saw it. Maybe he's going in the right direction. I mean, he, you know, you got that other thing. He's only been there two years. Been coaching other, ki- other, another coach's players, which I hate using that. It's kind of an easy out. I, it is. I totally agree with you. Um, I'll give him another year or two, but it ain't pretty to watch. You know what? What it really boils down to is, and you, it's what sucks about college sports in general. It's the reason UGA's basketball team is so bad. Georgia Tech's their facilities aren't great, and guys don't, you know, guys go and see like UGA football facilities where they put all their money into or Alabama or, you know, wherever, Virginia Tech or, you know, these people that put a lot of money into it and their facilities are not great. Um, if you were a four-star recruit coming out of high school, you've been on the campus. Would you want to go to Georgia Tech? No. I know. They had the same struggles that Virginia has too with academics. Same struggle. And so it's difficult. I get it. But you're in Atlanta. It's a desirable yeah. spot. Tons of recruits. I just it ain't pretty. It ain't pretty. And and the radio stations they love to say, look, we we wish we could talk Georgia Tech football, but no one cares. There's nothing to talk about. Well, let's talk about something that we all we all can agree about, and we all have had a great time with the last couple months, is the Braves, right? I mean, that's something that has just been a fantastic, uh, you know, last last little bit. You, Brian, went to a lot, lot, lot of the playoff games, including out in L.A. I'm riding that high until it uh, goes away, but it hasn't gone away yet. So help us or, or, or talk to us about Chavez Ravine, that trip, Dodger fans, being there. So it was it was really cool. Um You know, after we beat Milwaukee, which every publication in the country said we were going to lose that series, uh, I went to a couple. I went to one of those games here, not in Milwaukee. After they won, Andy and I had resolved that case we were talking about earlier a a few, like a few weeks before, and which we put a lot of time and a ton of energy into. And I was in that kind of uh, decompression mode. I just looked at my wife, Christine, and was like, "Hey, listen." I'm going to LA for a couple days. I'm going. I didn't even know you were going. We did. We got a text from him. Oh, it was last minute. That next morning of him in some hotel room with the background. I'm like, Brian, where the hell are you? Mm-hmm. Oh, this was. I I don't remember what day of the week it was. I want to say it was a Tuesday and Wednesday. I think I was out there. I decided on Sunday I was going. 
another buddy of mine and I decided to go out for one game. He could only be, go for it was a uh, Tony Calca. Shout out to the Calca Law Group, another very uh, very good law firm that we do a lot of work with and. We're all very good friends, and he could only go for one day on account of his parole, correct? Yeah, they, they didn't. His ankle monitor could only um, yeah. could only be out of the state for for twenty four hours. But you know, uh, he uh, no, um, I think he had, what did he, he did come back for a was a mediation or a wedding or something. I don't remember what it was. Um, anyway, some would you say stayed, that, you stayed for a second. Yeah, so some would say that those wasn't are one and the same. But that wasn't a wedding. That wasn't even planned. Tony and I flew out there. Uh, we went to we he got tickets through. Um, which you wanted to talk some stuff about SEO stuff. He actually got tickets from his SEO people, and we went to game three. I decided at game three, there was no way I was leaving the next morning and just changed my flight and stayed for game four and just went to game four on my own. Um, so, so we always hear about the Dodgers crowd. It's late arriving, can't get there. Did you experience that? Oh, Trouble. my God. So I've always wondered, even since I was a kid, every time you turn on Dodgers game, the, when the Braves are out there or just watching on ESPN, that stadium is empty until like the third or fourth inning. And they're always saying, well, you know, it's tough to get into. I'm all, I never really understood it. I have been to, we, I counted this today, I think 22 Major League Baseball stadiums, a bunch of football stadiums, basketball stadiums, you name them. I've never seen anything like trying to get into Dodger Stadium. It one is, way in, one way out? They're not even one way in. It is like a two-lane road in. And the, if you ever look at Dodger Stadium, the mountains are in the background, so you have no way to get in from the back of the stadium. So you're traveling through this very small neighborhood that's just northwest of the city, and it's impossible. In fact, I mean, I we were in an Uber on the over there, and the traffic was so bad. When I got to right under a mile, I just got out and walked, and it was a straight uphill walk for a good 40 minutes. Um, it was the craziest thing we're seeing. It is it is everything you've ever heard about Dodger Stadium and how difficult it is to get to and in and out of is one hundred percent accurate. Now I like we all do, like to, to eat and drink. Talk to me about the food in Dodger Stadium. You hear the Dodger dogs, you hear Dodger about dogs. These, these different fancy drinks they make. A Dodger dog is a hot dog. I learned. It's a ten dollar hot dog, but it's a hot dog. It's, it's a, a little bit dog. It's a little bit longer than a regular hot dog. At least so there's the there's, LA people say. It's that's longer. what the LA people say. Yeah. yeah, I think it's probably about the same size as everybody else's. Hot so dog. nothing about a Dodger dog that makes it any different than a hot dog. Not that I experienced. Now you told me and you if, sent a picture of a drink that you you bought for a Michelada, I believe is what. It's how called. much? You, how much they charge you for that? Drink? Uh, twenty two dollars. Twenty two dollars for a drink, and it was a Modelo beer mixed with Bloody Mary mix and spices. I will give you it was delicious. And it's about 30 ounces. It's huge. Okay. That's a pretty good bang for but, your buck. Uh, yeah. You can't find a Budweiser there. Can't find a Bud Light there. Can't find a Miller Lite. Modelo. IPA. It's Modelo. Or it's tough to find an actual fan there. Well, how were the fans? Yeah. I thought the fans were pretty good. They were nice. Um, Very I, fair weather. I lived there for a year before law school. Went to a game at Chavez Ravine. Had a Dodger dog, which was a hot dog. So what's your takeaway of Chavez Ravine? Exactly what Brian said, that the crowd arrives in the third or fourth inning. They leave in the seventh or eighth inning. They go there to be seen with their brand-new L.A. Dodger hats. And that is uh, funny you say that. Yeah. I think every single person in that stadium was wearing a Dodger hat. Sure, they were all new, too. What were you wearing? You, you were all Braves gear? I went all Braves gear, and I sat right. I sent about eight rows behind Magic Johnson, who's huge, by the we way. We split the games when you were oh, there, God. right? Yes. How, how did the fans take the loss? We were where we were. The, the where they. 
I think that they were so expecting to win the series no matter what that they took the loss pretty well. They didn't I seem th- to care. They, like, that's cute, think, Braves. Congratulations. It's going to be Dodgers in six now. Correct. That was exactly the vibe I got. And then, um, you know, but I also, I didn't sit in the outfield. So, you know, I was, I was kind of in a, in a, from what I have read, a better better part of the stadium than the humble brag is pretty remarkable isn't it you know i didn't sit in the outfield behind magic johnson yeah, i sat behind magic johnson <laughs> yeah. i had a 22 dollar drink yeah of course i never would sit in the outfield i mean he's about to get to the fact that he had a private jet home we're not quite there yet we'll get there in a minute let me ask you andy we all have we all have we all have young kids about the same age and for them to experience a world series this age is awesome i mean so your son bennett molly as well like talk about the experience you have with them Watching the games, going to the parade, seeing it through their eyes. Yeah, so the kids, the kids really couldn't get enough of it. And I'll tell you what was interesting is, like your son and Brian's son, uh, my son Bennett plays relatively competitive baseball, and he's very into baseball. But my daughter was always the one that was up at the end of the game. Isabella was too. Uh, Bennett would find himself a comfortable position on the sofa. Now, the, the game we won the World Series, uh, watched primarily on the porch, fire going, uh, Bennett was out there and had to wake him up for the last out to make sure he saw it. Talk about a humble brag of his fire on his porch. Well, yeah. I mean, you got to have a TV on your porch with a fire going. There's no question. Now, I mean, I didn't have a masseuse come like you do at your office, but I mean. It's you know. funny you say about Molly because Isabella yeah. was, was, I won't say farmer into it because Graham loves it, but she, you know, she was all about it. So it was, it was fun watching it through, the, through their eyes. I, I think I, the, I'm still in a high off of it. It's phenomenal. The kids, the kids, the kids just. What I tried to do is make sure that they appreciate it. I had to explain to the kids what you and Brian and I experienced growing up in Atlanta. And the, is rarity a word? Rarity, rarefied, rarefitude? Yeah. All right. This is a yes or no. Didn't happen that much. The, the answer to this question is either yes or a no. Do the Braves re-sign Freddie Freeman, Brian? Yes. Do the Braves re-sign Freddie Freeman, Andy? Yes. Okay. Well, I like that sample size. I'll go. I'll even give you the number. I think it's going to be... Five years, 185. See, I think he's going to get the sixth. I think that's what the negotiation is all about right now. If they go 5185, he probably accepts that. Six, 180, six, 200, I think that's. Six, 200 well, makes sense. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. All right. So before we're done, I want to talk about the Falcons, which I know is, is random, but, but Brian, we went to, not random, but it's just a lot of people don't talk about the Falcons right now. Uh, Brian, we went to the game yesterday. Again, speaking of Tony Kalka, shout out to him. Thank you for the tickets. We had a great time. Thanks, Tony. I had a really good time at the game. I had a good, I had a good time. I thought that the Mercedes Benz was, the roof was open. It was beautiful. I thought the food was good. Getting in and out was pretty easy. My my quick takeaways are: I think that Arthur Smith is the right coach. I think he's doing a lot with zero talent. We have no good players. There was no real dumb penalties that happened. Um, we actually spent a lot of the third quarter talking about that fifty-four Olacum. Am I saying it right? For some reason, he caught Graham's eye. He's the guy that ended up catching the the interception to yeah, win the game. So dilly dilly to him, but he caught Graham's eye. You looked him up. He was a, he's a Yale guy. Yep. His mom's a physician. Great story. Good for him. Um, all I will say about the Falcons right now is that if you are two eleven and one, and if your quarterback's name is Tim Boyle, you are not coming to our house and taking away of uh, leaving with a victory. You're just not like that's the team. That's that's who we're gonna win. We're gonna beat those teams. So. Tell me, tell me, you know, where you guys are at with the Falcons, what you think. I, you know, the, uh, listen, Arthur Smith should, after watching that game live, 
I know he ain't going to win coach of the year, but he should probably be considered because that winning seven games with the talent level that's on the team is pretty remarkable. Um, their offensive line is is you and I talked about it all game. It's abysmal. That first every, drive, Ryan was sacked twice and hurried twice. He got hit every single play. Everybody wants to blame Matt Ryan for the struggles this this team almost said Hawks this Falcons team has. Um, and listen, Matt Ryan is not 30 years old anymore, and you can very much tell. He's 100% declined as a player. He's still pretty good. I mean, he made a couple really good throws yesterday. And also, he has no time to throw the ball. That uh, that you, know, you look at the team and you miss, you miss Ridley a lot, and then you think about how you can rebuild it. You can't go draft a wide receiver. In my opinion, you can't go draft a quarterback because you can't do anything until you rebuild both of those lines. So where do you find a quarterback? Andy, how do you get a quarterback? Because we know that Matt Ryan's got, what, another year max, two? Yeah, so the problem has been what the problem has been for a long time, which is that the Falcons aren't great, but they're just good enough to not get a top 10. To not get a, a great draft pick. And here's the problem with, with the Matt Ryan analysis, in my humble opinion, is what Brian says is 100% accurate. He's on the decline, obviously. But you could easily see a scenario where we trade him to somebody with a stout offensive line. And for the next two or three years, he looks like an all-pro, which then begs the question – is it really Matt Ryan or is it the talent around him if you give him time to throw? I mean, let's not forget that the reason that the Packers drafted Jordan Love was because Rodgers was coming off a season where they thought that the Packers thought he was on the decline. Now look at him. He's not so much on the decline. So, But to answer your question, where do you get another quarterback, the problem is that we've been good enough to where if you're going to be picking, what, middle of the draft, you're taking a complete stab on a quarterback. I was big for Justin Fields last year at that four spot. I, you know, that might have been a, a passion pick because at, at Georgia we let him go. After watching Pitts yesterday? After watching I was going to say, after watching Pitts yesterday, that guy, he, he, he was the best player on the field. Yeah. I thought he was the best player on the field. He made he, – he, he just – every week he's, he's learning more. He's, he's figuring it out. Matt Ryan looks at him every single play. Well, he doesn't have and, time to look at anybody else. <laughs> His size and speed, you can't coach that. But I will say this. I'm going to ask you this question. Who do you think, you know, the kid's got the commemorative, you know, cup? Do you feel the <laughs> power aid? Yeah. I know the answer. Who, who do you think the Falcons have chosen to put on the commemorative cup that all the kids are taking home with them? Is it a player from this season? Yes. Yes. Uh, the kicker, Koo? Yes. Hey! Yes. Yes. Right. Yes. We are, we're, uh, you know, 53 guys on the roster. When's the last time? By the way, Koo made two great kicks, so maybe that's the right choice. I'll say this for Koo. If you're going to be a kicker and have that sort of arm tattoo, and he's got some pipes, right? They, they're, they're pipes in the way that, 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 I mean, they're pipes, but they're not pipes. You know, he's got some biceps. But if, if you're going to have a tattoo as a kicker, you got to be good. Because if I would posit that if you're a tattooed kicker and you're missing kicks— you don't. It just you just look ridiculous. If you you've really put some thought into this before. Well, sure, he's a kicker that has biceps and a tattoo. This is like having a conversation with you about fortune cookies. Like this is something. But don't get me you, started. This is something man. you've really thought about. That's a whole other podcast. That is a whole other podcast. Well, actually, you've been to a Super Bowl. You know, I have. Uh, about two hours before game time, 
uh, through a connection of my brothers, I got a ticket. Um, and so I got on Marta, uh, from where we lived at the time. I was so late to the game relative to the arrival time of other people that there was no wait on Marta. There was no wait at security. I got there three minutes before kickoff and I sat in the Rams section. This was the Rams Patriots. And every single Rams fan there, it was as if they had the price tag still on them. I mean, they were all new fans, just like in L.A., right? I mean, they had been fans for eight minutes, but I sat amongst them. That was probably a better day than the Super Bowl the Falcons were in. Were the Falcons in the Super Bowl? I I don't like to, I don't remember that. But let me tell you this. I did leave the Super Bowl, the Rams Patriots, with two minutes left because I refused to watch Tom Brady celebrate on our home field. So I got home with no traffic. It was the it the Super Bowl in Atlanta that the Rams and Patriots played in was the easiest Atlanta sporting event I've been a part of. You want to know why I didn't go to that game? Not really, but you're going to tell us anyway, probably. Yeah, yeah. I didn't go to that game because all of our all of our kids play very competitive sports. Um, my because knowing that the Super Bowl was in Atlanta. My daughter's gymnastics team planned an event for that Sunday in Nashville, Tennessee. That seems reasonable. Very reasonable. So I watched that game that you were at from the Opryland Barbecue Restaurant. I will never forget that. I went, not because I care about either team, but on the Mount Rushmore of events, I was fortunate enough to go to the Olympics back in the day when they were in Atlanta, fortunate enough to go to the Masters, had to check the Super Bowl off, even though the Falcons weren't in it. Hey, the Super Bowl's won. I, I, I like you just said. I've been to World Series games. I've been to the Masters. Yeah. I've been to all of it, but I've never been to a Super Bowl. So I've been to the World Series. Are we lacking anything on the Mount Rushmore of sporting events? The World Series, the Masters, the Super Bowl, and the Olympics. I've been no, to the Olympics. Then would be cool. But is it on the Mount Rushmore? No, those are the four. Those? World those Cup. I, mean, I think those are the. Those are the four. Yeah, World Cup would be up there if you're a soccer fan. Yeah, you're probably right. But, I mean, how many can you have on Mount You can't have ten things on Mount Rushmore. I would also Four. say, I think on my I think my Mount Rushmore has to be a home run derby, which, um, thanks to... You would have gone this year. Yeah, Manafort, I didn't get to go to. All right, today's date is December 27th, 2021. On December 27th, 2019, my... Well, actually, my wife's iPhone reminded me that we had a fairly memorable dinner The that <laughs> that's centered around your birthday. Yeah. Now, this is just one of the many kind of recurring practical jokes of the two you guys perform, commit, what's the right word, on each other. Yeah. Centered around birthdays. So this came but up the other day. I'm gonna ask I'm gonna ask Andy to set the stage for what happened two years ago tonight. You go there and then I'm gonna tell you before you go into any other stories how this came up in a conversation uh, with Christine, I think Josh and Dan there today. So to set the stage, I think it, it only fair to say that I don't know that anyone anymore knows the history or as we in the law would say the etiology, or maybe that's a medical term of the, of the practical joke. I do remember that many years ago we had a dinner at chops and feel free, Buckhead Life Group. Are they Buckhead Life? Used to be. Yeah, drop me a gift certificate for the name. Um, and, and we made a Hello Kitty motorcycle. Still my office. Present for Brian, and we superimposed his face onto Hello Kitty on the motorcycle. I don't know that that was the start of it, but that was many, many years ago, and it may have been. And ever since then, with birthdays, 
and ever ever since Josh has come to the plaintiff's bar years ago, you've been involved in this as well. Birthdays have turned into not warm embraces of a special time. It's been your friends trying to pretty much play practical jokes on you. So two years ago, we took Brian to see Ellett's at the Battery, who probably also you know, makes scrumptious steaks like chops. Well, it's a, it's a nice restaurant. It's a high-end restaurant. And, and, and you and I decide, well, let's back up and tell the listener. Brian has two major fears, and that's clowns and bare feet. Yeah. We tried to marry them in a glorious Brunswick stew of a clown coming into Cielitz in bare feet in the middle of our dinner, right? Exactly. That, that was the plan. That was the plan. But the clown that we found, Toothpick. Spell that. T- that's T-O-O-F for the listener, not T-O-O-F. P-I-C. call Toothpick for your birthday parties? Yes. He's fantastic. Fantastic clown. We called him to make an appearance at Cielitz, which he was willing to do. We got clearance from Cielitz. We offered it where we were taking Brian for dinner. Well, that's a whole other thing. We, we, we made the decision that you had to give the hostess and the manager a heads up, right? Like there can't be this concept of a random clown, horns and all, yeah. just rolling into your restaurant. Making right? balloon animals. Right. With balloon animals. The yeah, concern so- in today's day and age of a clown coming in horns hot to the Can't restaurant is that is it an act of terror or is it an actual clown? So we had to get we got a heads up. We got a heads we up. We hired toothpick. Hired toothpick. We tell him show up at eight o'clock or seven thirty, whatever it was. Whatever it was. Middle of our middle of our meal. And what happens next? So Toothpick politely declined to come in barefoot, even though we, you and I, as I recall, offered to pay him a little extra for the barefoot. By the way, I never knew that until his podcast that you tried to get him to come in barefoot. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We offered him, I think it was 50 bucks extra to come barefoot. I think, we said, I think we said, name your price, Toothpick. He, he politely declined. So about halfway through dinner, we, we, were, we had had a couple of, couple of drinks, a bottle of wine or two. That Josh stole. And Toothpick comes in horns hot to the back of the restaurant to entertain Brian. Right, Brian. We have video of this. Brian, Brian knew when he. I mean, when you see a clown coming down the aisle at a steak at a steakhouse, and it's your birthday, He's you gotta assume you. it's for you. He's oh, I knew I was toast. Did did the did the other folks in the restaurant find that entertaining at all? Because my recollection is they were not entertained like we were. Some folks found it funny. There was one couple seated. Okay, no folks found it funny. But there was a couple seated directly to our left who I think were on a first date. And the man was trying to impress a woman, shelling out the Bitcoin for Cielitz. When Toothpick came in horns hot with the, with the balloons and the clowniness, he could not have been less happy. Less, less happy. Now, could not have been less now happy. Now, Brian, on the other hand, I will say, took it like a champion. He did. He's sitting in the middle of a restaurant. Toothpick, who, who's scaring him half to death, is now making little baby Brian uh, animals. Brian from Family from Guy. From Family Guy. The yeah, dog from Family which Guy. Which you then had to walk around at night with. So that's great. Now, what have you done back So then? no, So <clears throat> that is a great segue because a couple days ago, my birthday's in two days from now, and we're all, the three of us and another couple are going out for dinner tomorrow night for my birthday. And I was talking to Christine, I believe it was Dana and Josh, and I was saying, hey, you guys don't have any like, clowns coming to dinner this year. I've been good this year. I didn't even mess with Andy on his birthday. Until well, I that, rem- That's false. I, until, I said, Brian, what are you talking until about? And I forgot that I stole his car. <laughs> yeah, you didn't mess with me on my birthday other than stealing my car. I mean, yeah, so go that's on. That's a good segue into it. <laughs> so well, let's see. What are a couple things that we've done over the past years? I can't years? think of anything. I can't, yeah. Uh, I stole Andy's car, and me and Josh 
Tony Kalk and I drove it around Atlanta and took pictures and made a calendar for him of his car visiting our favorite, favorite establishments, which included, amongst other things, TJ Maxx, where Andy shops for his clothes, and <laughs> his office, and um, I believe it, 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 needed, it needed antibiotics at a, at, a, at a hospital. Stopped at an ER. Yeah, it went to an ER, amongst other places. Uh, Did you get my car COVID? I, no, your car enjoyed that day. That was your car's favorite day of the year. Hands True. down. True. Hands down. Could have been. Uh, what else have we done? Uh, I believe we shipped a bunch of clothes down to a GTLA convention in Florida a few years ago. The urine case. That, that um, Andy was trying to sell on the dark web. <laughs> and we had an intern buy them and wore them at his convention. Including putting urinal cakes with his face on them in the restaurants. We've done all sorts of fun stuff. Too good. Too good. I will say this, and I hate, God knows I hate to compliment Brian, but in this Star Wars movie of our life, he is the Yoda of practical jokers. I, I'm, I'm, I don't know if I'm a Jedi or not. I probably haven't reached that level yet, but Brian is, is, is one of a kind. Well, guys, this was, a, this was a great time. We could continue talking forever. Yeah, so Quite frankly, is there anything else that y'all wanted us to, to touch on? I know we we kind of glossed over a few things, but I think we hit all the high points. Anything else? No, the only thing I would say is, is if you're a young lawyer and you're looking for something to do right out of law school, my advice would be don't go join a huge defense law firm. Go learn how to litigate cases, be a prosecutor, a public defender, learn how to learn how to do stuff in a courtroom and go from there. Yeah. Hey, join the Planets Bar. Josh will tell you it's it's the way to go. Yeah, it's the way to go. Get get comfortable on your feet. Don't don't waste away. You know if you can help it in some cubicle somewhere. Uh, I would say take time choosing your friends. Clearly, I've done a poor job of that, and it's come back to bite me. Uh, for you for you kids uh, that have a choice, uh, you know, do do better. No, this has been great. Thank you for having us. This is now nah, this is a lot of fun. I feel like we've covered the waterfront. I think so. I think we've hit all the high marks. We we've talked about the law and torts. We talked about sports. We talked about Falcons, Braves, Virginia. Probably won't make an appearance again on the podcast. L- Hoosier basketball probably won't either. But we've now checked those off. Let me tell you what I know for sure. There are very few certainties in life. What I know is that this podcast is better than 99% of the others that are out there. So if if people listen to another podcast besides this one, it'd be a complete waste of time. And I would say I will give Josh a huge shout-out when I win an Emmy for this. Yeah, when you go down your, your list and it's like, Christine, it's your, your, your mom, your kids, just don't, don't forget me. I won't. Give Dana one too because you know she'll be mad as hell if you leave her name out. All right, everybody. Thank you all for listening. Um, Please rate the show. Rate our guests, Brian and Andy. Leave a five-star review if you're enjoying it. And until next time, hold that head up high and keep chopping.